0: Okay. Uh, your individual relationship with god this is about our relationship with god um, and and we talked about the christian and sin we talked about the christians what our response should be to sin um, we want to be overcomers and we can live above sin we can live above sin definitely but we have to we have to work at. It's a day-to-day journey, it's a day-to-day walk that each of us have to take on. We decide whether we take it on or not. Amen? Um, So, like I said, I'm not going to rehash everything. In fact, I'm going to pick up pretty much where I left off, um, but it will not be, you're not going to be lost, you're not going to be confused. Uh, Before we do start off, though, I would like to pray real fast um, over our time together and this study tonight. So if you don't mind, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. You brought us together tonight, Lord. We ask that you minister to us and through your word tonight, Lord, we know it is blessed, and we ask that you bless each and every one of us, Lord. I pray that our hearts, our minds are open to what you have for us, Lord, in our individual walk with you, Lord. I ask you to minister to us tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I truly believe that... You will leave here tonight with something that you can start applying to your life. Now, it's up to you to apply it. It's up to you on what you decide to do with with anything you hear, whether it be a lesson or preaching or teaching. So just kind of keep that in mind. And yes, I'm putting it back on you because it is our individual walk with God. So I kind of just wanted to hit on that again uh, or mention that. So... As I said, we were talking about the Christian's response to sin and, and I kind of came down into some principles um, and I, I was last in talking in, in Romans and if you want to go to Romans chapter 6 verses 9 through 13 I do have an extra Bible, someone would like a, an actual Bible, I do have an extra one um, and I will give you a moment to get there as you are going through your tablet or your phone or, or looking in the Bible. We're going to go to Romans 6, uh, and it's just on verses 9 through 13. I'm actually not going to read them. I'm just going to, be, refer, to them, refer to them a little bit. Um, so in Romans 9, um, know, know that Christ has already died once and resurrected. He will not die again for sin. He did this already. He already did it one time on Calvary. It was bloody, it was gory, it was brutal, and yet it was beautiful. What he did for you and for I. We have an opportunity for everlasting life because of what he did that day. He broke the mold, if you would like to say, it, that day. But he will not do it again. He's already done it. So that's kind of covering verse 9. And kind of on verse 11, I want you to reckon. We also should reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive unto God. And over on verse uh, 13, we need to yield. No longer should we yield ourselves unto sin and unrighteousness, but we should yield ourselves unto God. Unto what he expects from us in our relationship with him. Amen. Do not feed the flesh or even present opportunities to sin as we kind of move forward a little bit. I am going to read this here. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13. Romans 8, 12 and 13. I would give everybody just a moment to get there. So as I said, Romans 8, 12 and 13, we do not want to feed the flesh or even present the opportunities to sin. Again, this is our response to sin. So we need to think ahead. We need to plan our lives ahead and plan our day ahead and look, try to look for those opportunities that could enter into our lives. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. But 13 says, for if we, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, ye through the spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall, shall live. We have to mortify or kill the deeds of the body. We have to kill those habits that we've picked up. That are sinful. We have to destroy. We have to remove those from our lives. If you know you shouldn't be doing something. Don't do it. I mentioned last week. You know the internet is a very awesome tool. But it could be a very sinful tool for very many. They can't help themselves. From going to places. Or looking at things. Or listening to things they shouldn't listen to. And that's through the internet. It might not be the same for every person in this room. Some people may have no problem with. Doing and sticking to what they need to do. But some people yield to the flesh, yield to some old habits, yield to things they shouldn't be doing. We have to kill the deeds of the body. If we do, then the spirit will live. That battle is a war that goes on every day the spirit and the flesh. Who's going to win today? Is it going to be me and my flesh, or is it going to be God and his spirit? That battle is daily. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, will give you a moment to get there. Galatians 5 and 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections, of, uh, affections and lusts. We must crucify the flesh. We have to do it. Not only has the flesh been crucified, has been crucified, but also the things that cause the flesh to sin needs to be crucified. They need to be removed. They need to be killed in their life. Amen? Let's go to Philippians 4 and 8. I'm giving you a lot of Bible verses for a reason. Because I want you to know that everything that I'm talking about is backed up in the Bible. This comes from the Word of God. These are the things that He expects from us. These are the challenges that people have gone through already. The apostles have gone through. The disciples. These people have gone through these challenges. And they can live above sin. That's what we are encouraged to do and to know today. Is that you can live above sin. You can live a life of holiness. Amen? Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, A person who truly desires to live above sin will learn to think right thoughts. Like I said, plan your day. Plan your your life around things. You know what... Oftentimes you know the things that trip you up. You need to stay away from them. You need to put them out of your way. You need to remove those obstacles. You know your fleshly weakness. You know the things that are going to cause you to stumble. You need to get away from there. Same thing with the thoughts. You know, and I mentioned it last week, you know, you might see someone, if it's a guy or a girl, you see a pretty guy or a handsome man, handsome man or a pretty girl, and uh, what you do next is on you. The first look might it was free. What you decide to do, what thoughts you have are on you. We need to... Desire to live above sin and learn to think the right thoughts. 2 Corinthians uh, 10 and 5 says, And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's biblical. It's biblical and it's something that we can do. So we need to develop good habits. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 13 and 19. Romans 6, 13, and 19. Verse 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And verse 13 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity in, and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness, unto holiness. Do not yield your members to sin, your body are in the, your instruments. Your body, You need to yield them to God. Do not yield them to sin. Old habits die hard. But they die so much easier when replaced with a good habit. You're removing something, you should replace it with a good habit. If you're having trouble with whatever that stumbling block is, maybe you can replace it with studying the Bible. Or maybe you can replace it with time of prayer or having a weekly Bible study or there's something that you can do. There are many things that we can do. So it is important to understand that overcoming sin is a matter of the heart and the spirit. Psalms 51.10, well-known scripture, well-known passage, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. David was referring to repentance, which will make the heart clean. But he does go a step further. He says, and renew a right spirit. Not only is he talking about repenting, and talking about, and repenting, is not just, I'm sorry. Repenting is, as Sister Joyce and I were talking last week, this is a good one, I quit. It's a turning away of the mind, the heart, your direction, your stopping. It's, I quit. That is what repentance should be. And renew a right spirit. A man whose heart is made clean, but does not get his spirit right, will end up with a dirty heart going to happen again. If you didn't cleanse it out all the way, it's going to get dirty again. And it might get dirty a little faster. But, if the spirit is right, the heart will stay right. You're building upon a desire to keep it clean. You're building on a desire to serve God. You're building on a desire to have a deeper, more rich relationship with God, which will keep your heart clean and will help keep you on the right path and avoid sin and those obstacles. Too many people fall back into sin, not because they don't repent, but because they don't allow God to renew the right spirit within each of them. We must understand that real repentance must, re- must reach the d- deep enough to affect the spirit. It's not just moment of Lord I'm sorry I was caught I'm feeling regretful today of what I've done it is a true repentance it's a true I am done I quit I want to move past this I don't want this in my life anymore it is impossible to live above sin and ultimately live a holy life without a right spirit which keeps the heart clean Moving forward here a little bit, I want to look at some of the aspects of sin. We have looked at the aspect of sin in our life and understand that we are powerless on our own to overcome it. We can't do it alone. I I gave the example last week, and you've heard this example before. You know, you you, you fill up your, your gas tank, you fill up on Sunday night, but if you don't go to the gas station, you're going to run out of gas. If you don't talk to God, you're going to run out of Holy Ghost. You're going to run out of the Spirit stirred up inside of you. Or it's going to settle down to the bottom, and it's going to feel like it's not there. And you're going to feel empty inside. So you've got to keep it stirred up. you gotta, you got to keep moving forward. But we can't do it alone. How do we stir it up? Reaching out to God. Talking to Him daily. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Wednesday or Tuesday morning, or our Friday night youth service. We have to do it daily, individually. But the Word of God lets us know in Romans 5.20, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. Sin we are familiar with, it's in us. It's there. Grace is not... Therefore, we must not only acquire it, we must also acquire the knowledge of what grace really is. Grace can be defined as unmerited favor of God towards man. This is a good, rough definition. Notice it's not just the unmerited favor of God, but his unmerited favor towards man. Grace does have a direction. When God developed this thing called grace, he did it with fallen, sinful man in mind. That's why he has grace, is because of the fallen, sinful man. God favors all of creation, yet he gave grace to us totally unmerited. Something you don't earn, something that you can't earn. It's just something that God gives. Now, this is opposite of justice under the law. Justice under the law demanded a penalty to be executed uh, or extracted from the offender. You should. You did something wrong. You're going to be penalized. So this is the opposite of what God and the law would do. But that's God. Amen? And I'm grateful to have that kind of a God. So by paying the penalty, the scales could be balanced and the individual brought back into a right standing with God. Grace made no such demand on you or me. By his grace, he took the penalty upon himself and he paid the price, thus allowing us to come into a right standing with him. Like I said, he already went to the cross once for our sin. He's not going to do it again. He did it once, and it was enough. It was enough until the end of time, until he returns. So this does help by knowing this. It does help us understand Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not the works lest of any man should boast. It is not by anything great that you have done or that you could do or you could try to do that has nothing to do with it it's all about god it's all about his grace it's all about his love amen the scripture plainly tells us no tells us know that the old testament works will not bring salvation but it comes only through his grace his unmerited favor towards us which was his taking the penalty for our sin. Grace forgives past sin and gives power to overcome future sin. That is God working in in our lives. Just as the priest sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat took care of the past sin, it also allowed them to live yet another year. This is Old Testament. The sacrifice not only took care of their past problem, it gave them the power to step into their future. It gave them the power to go on tomorrow. Grace brings us to a point of forgiveness of past sins and allows us to move forward. Same thing, but that's straight through God. No sacrificial ritual needs to be taken into account here. Here we must be careful not to assume that grace will forgive us and allow us to continue in sin or to be separated from God. That is not the point. As I said last week, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card to continue sinning. That is not what God intended at all. The scripture is very plain in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, that we should not continue in sin just because grace is there. We need to realize what has taken place and transpired in our lives and allow God to make that change that he is wanting to make in us. But again, we have to allow him. We have to work. We have to work so he can work. We have to open our hearts and our minds to what he has for us. When God moved from the Old Testament sacrificial system to the New Testament salvation of grace, a greater responsibility was put on the people to live above sin. It brought it in line individually. It brought it, yes, there's a greater responsibility because God wanted us to have that greater responsibility. He did away with the old sacrificial system. So, but at the same time, a power, the Holy Ghost was given to strengthen the people against the power of sin. Again, he doesn't expect us to do it alone. He didn't say, okay, you don't know more sacrifices According to this Old Testament, good luck. He didn't do that because we can't do it alone. He sent the comforter. He sent the power, the Holy Ghost. And if you have the Holy Ghost living and working inside of you, you have the power. You have everything you need to move forward and live above sin. Well, that's all I need. No, that's not all you need. You've got to put it into action. You've got to do the work. What does he want from you? Well, it's what we've been talking about. He wants you to pray. He wants you to read his word. He wants you to get to know him. He wants that relationship with you. He wants your desires to move from fleshly, I want to feel good, to spiritual, I want to feel good. You're trading off a sinful habit for a spiritual, godly habit, Does that make sense? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not the works lest any man should boast. Yes, we already mentioned that. It is nothing we've done, it is a gift. We we talk about it as a gift. It is a gift. You didn't earn it. You might not even initially knew you even wanted it. It is a gift. And it is the greatest gift that you could ever have, is to receive the Holy Ghost. Amen? Ephesians 2 and 10 goes on to tell us, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When we come to God and receive His Spirit, we are actually created in Christ Jesus. You take on Jesus. It's been said many times. You are no longer uh, Keith McKennis. You are Keith McKennis Jesus. You've taken on Christ. You are not Christ. You've taken on Christ. Make sure you know there is a difference. I'm not telling you that, oh, I'm an individual God. That is not what I just said. Right. There is only one God, and his name is Jesus. Right. But you take on Christ. You become a member of the family. You become a member of the blood-bought family. We may not have the exact same DNA, but now that we've added Jesus' blood into it, we are a family. Does that make sense? Is that good? Is that- From this point of creation, he begins to work on us and fashion us as his workmanship. We are created unto good works, or in other words, the works of him, which are the works of holiness. Let's look at that, a deeper definition of grace. We'll find this in James 1.11. I'll give you a moment to go there. James 1.11. James is in the New Testament. James 1.11 For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it is withered, the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Here the King James Version where it is talking about the flowers of the field, it means, it means, how will I say that? Let me go here with it. In other words, uh, grace in the New Testament, we observe the following. It comes from the Greek word of Paul. And I'm sure I messed that up. It means a basic sense, graciousness, a manner or act. But more literally, it means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. In other words, the first half of the equation of grace is that God gives his grace to us without our merit, without merit anything. It's without merit. We did not earn it. This is the divine influence upon the heart. The second half of the equation is grace's reflection of our heart. This is us living a life that is Christ-like, or following Jesus. As a Christian, that is what you are. You are a follower of Jesus. Pleasing to Him, which is no more than a reflection of His influence upon your heart. This is where we bring God into us. This is where Jesus is starting to move in your life through this other part, this second definition of grace. So, the work of grace. It is here that the real work begins. We do not have the ability to reflect what he is if we do not know who he is or what he is. This means that we need to be taught. Grace becomes, becomes our teacher and teaches us holiness and good works. Titus chapter 2, let's go to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Titus is also in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to start at 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that we might redeem, That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke all authority. Let no man despise thee. Holiness is not totally uh, inherent after receiving the Holy Ghost. It must be taught. It's not something that you just have. It's not something that you just know, okay? I've got the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden I know all these things. You still have to learn. You have to be taught. You have to develop. Just like if you were studying in school or any subject, the way to learn it is to read about it, is to study about it, is to listen to teachings about it. It, But it teaches us that by denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live... Righteously, soberly, and godly. We are to live this way in this world. Think about this present world that we have. There have been many present worlds. Hundred years ago, they were living in a present world with all these things, with all this sin, lust, and filthiness that they had to live upon. Hundred years later, we are living in this present world. Times have changed, technology has changed, but it's still the same sin, filthiness, and lust. And we still have that same power to live above these things. The same power living inside of us as long as we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Does that make sense? God does not change the world for us. He changes us to live righteously in that world. And yes, you become more aware of things as you grow closer to God. You become more aware of sin. You become more aware of, well, wait a minute, what was I thinking? I was doing this last week. You become, you should become more aware. You're growing. God is moving in your life. He is talking to you. Let's look at John 17, verses 14 through 16. John seventeen fourteen through 16. John 17, I'll start in 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. According to Titus 2, chapter 13, we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of God. The one Jesus who is redeeming us for all of our iniquities. We are looking for Him. We are living in this world, and He is equipping us to live in this present time. Wherever that time is, this is our time, 2020. 100 years ago, that was their time. And He equipped them to live in that time. Think about that. The times change, but God doesn't. His same power is equipping us today to live in this world. He is purifying us unto himself as peculiar people. I know I'm a peculiar person. We all probably can say that about ourselves. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. 1 Peter 2 and 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light another well-known scripture, especially if you have gone through the Bible study into his marvelous life. This word peculiar means a special purchase or possession. That is to say that he has purchased us. We belong to him. And we are, he are to do his will. We are to work for God. We are to be his hands and feet. This leaves us very leaves us very strongly with the understanding that this thing called holiness must be by his definition not our definition go ahead you mm-hmm. Yes, he was telling them there. Yes, and for the future, yes, those that who will believe, Amen. People say, "Well, I would rather believe what Jesus did. What the apostles?" But right. It's the not. Right. That is not true. They were retelling for Jesus. They were sharing His word. They were His hands and feet. They were His mouthpiece. Amen. Very good. That was good. He is allowing grace to work in each of us to teach us what He is and what He wants to make of us and what He is going to do with us. Like I said, Holiness is his definition, not ours. If we're living by our holiness definition, we are not living a holiness definition. That is something fleshly. I will just be plain and simple with you. That would be a fleshly desire. Because it feels good, I think this is the right thing to do. Does it, does it line up with the word of God? Does it line up with what he says? If it doesn't, then it's not of God. So the process of holiness. Holiness, it is a process just as life is a process. You do do not experience all of life at once and become totally mature. Jeremiah is now four years old. He is not. He does not have the knowledge of a 50-year-old man. He has the knowledge of a four-year-old. He has the attitude of a four-year-old. He has the habits of a four-year-old. He didn't just get all that. We don't just get all that. You don't receive the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name, washing away your sins, and all of a sudden, you have all of this knowledge. And you have all these things that you know. Okay, I know not to go here. I know not to go there. You still need to be taught. Holiness is a process just like life. It doesn't happen all at once. Hebrews six, verses one through three. I'll give you a moment to turn there. We've already touched on these scriptures already, but I just want to hit on them again. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto, go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands as a resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permit. The word of the word perfect means to complete or accomplish our character. The writer is telling us that there is indeed a process from coming to Christ to being complete in Christ. I don't know if any of us will ever be complete in Christ before we go on to glory. Because you learn every day. I was baptized and received the Holy Ghost when I was 18. I'm 41. I'm still learning today. God is still teaching me today. Bishop, how long have you had the Holy Ghost? Um, 44 years. 44 years that's awesome but he's still learning today he has not been perfected in Christ yet God is still working on him just as he is working on each of us in here today the process is development of holiness in our lives that is the process holiness must be taught It must be taught, learned, and acted upon for it to really work in our lives, just like anything. You can have a cell phone, you can have a car, you can have whatever you want, but if you don't use it, you're not using it. If I don't use my cell phone, it's a really nice paperweight. I would say your car car is a paperweight, but you probably shouldn't park it on your desk. But it can sure kill your lawn if you leave it there long enough. It has to be used to have this phone. I'm, and I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't even use this thing to the fullest capabilities. I know that. I have things that I like, I'm good with. And I know, and I have people all the time, well, you can just get an app for that. No, I'm. I've got, I got what I want. I have my comfort zone. But there is so much you can do. It needs but it, it doesn't just call, it doesn't just text. There are things that you can do with it You can send email, you can work from it. you can do a lot of things from it. But if you're not using it, it's no better than a paperweight. Same thing with holiness. If you are not using it in your daily lives, it's not working in your daily lives. Amen. For anything to be properly learned, you must not only have the right answers. You must not only have the right answers, you also have to have the right principles. True holiness in the heart begins by understanding the principles of true holiness in the mind and the spirit. And now I want to look at some of those general principles of holiness. Uh, okay, we're okay. Proverbs 9 and 10. This is in the Old Testament. It's just one verse. Fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the, ho- of the holy is understanding. Rules and principles. Rules define a prescribed guides for conduct or action. We have rules in several areas of our lives. You have it in your home, you have it in school, you have it at jobs, in business dealings. There are rules everywhere. There are rule. The rules are there in, for order and protection. Principles. If you want to define it, the reason which the rule exists. See it. The rule prescribe guides for conduct or action. Principles. The reason for which the rule exists. In other words, it's the reason why the rule exists in the first place. For example, the rule is don't speed. The principle is that speeding creates an atmosphere in which accidents can occur. The rule is, don't touch the stove. The principle is, it is hot and it will burn you. So, let's go to Exodus. I'll give you a moment to turn there. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to start with verse 3. Exodus is uh, in the Old Testament. In fact, you can find it pretty simple because it's really near the very beginning. You have Genesis and then you have Exodus, in case you uh, are not familiar. We're going to go to Exodus 20. Verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the rule. The principle is that he alone is God and should be revered as such. Let's look at another one. Uh, This will be from Exodus 24 and 5. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or bow down before it. This is the rule. The principle is that God is a jealous God and is the only one to be worshipped. Look at another one. We are in Exodus 20, so I'm just going to say what the verse is. Verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That is the rule. That is the commandment. The principle is that his name is primary to the expression of who he is, and as such, it is a holy name. The next one in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is the rule. The principle is God created a day of rest for the benefit of man. (coughs) Look at another here in verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother. That is the rule. The principle is one of respecting and honoring the authority God has placed in your home place over you in your home. We'll look at another. Verse 13. Thou shall not kill. That is the rule. The principle is that God alone is the giver of life and he alone will be the taker. Verse 14. Thou shall not commit adultery. That is the rule. That is the commandment. The principle is that marriage is sacred to God and is to be viewed as a lifelong commitment. The next one, verse 15, Thou shalt not steal. That is the rule. The principle is that a man should only have what is rightfully his. Verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That is the rule. The principle is that God hates a lying tongue also can be found in Proverbs six seventeen, And in verse 17, thou shalt not covet. This is the rule. The principle is that God supplies what every man needeth of. Rules and principles contrast. Holiness is not intended to be, nor should it be, a bunch of rules. As I originally said, that's what my perception was. That was what I thought uh, religion was meant to be. That's what I thought being an apostolic Pentecostal would be. Ah, the rules, there, the holy rollers, here it comes. I'm going to get this list of don't do this, you can only do this. That is not what I've ever gotten from any church I've ever gone to. It is not what I've gotten. Rather, though... Holiness is not intended to be, nor should it be, a bunch of rules. Rather, it is a way of life or a lifestyle based on principles that are explained in the Word of God. If we are not careful, we will confuse the issue of becoming and become ensnared in the rule and not searching out the principle. I don't like that rule. I'm good with the Ten Commandments. I don't like number four and six. I don't like those. You easily could do that. You easily be like, "Well, that, that shouldn't apply to me." But if you search out the meaning, the principle behind it helps with your development, with your relationship with God of true holiness. Within the church, a pastor has a set of standards or rules of holiness that are based upon biblical principles. Pastor does not sit at home and just think of things. Well, they like doing that, so that's dumb. He doesn't do that. If he did that, he would tell everybody not to be on Facebook. He encourages you not to be on Facebook, but he has never come in and said, it is a rule to be here. And he only says that because he's looking out for your soul, because of so much things that people get caught up in and start acting like their fleshly selves as opposed to the spiritual. It's out of love. It's out of protection. But again, he has never made it a rule. But it is his job to oversee the flock. Amen. God has given this authority to ministers in order to help the church. Acts 20, 28. Take he therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The role of your pastor has a lot of weight. He is going to answer to God for what he says and for what he does and the things that happen in his church. Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may... Do it with joy and not with grief, that it is unprofitable for you. He cares about you. That is his job. He not only cares about you because it's his job, because he loves you. Before you try to start dissecting these standards with your own thought process, you need to pause. Each of us need to pause long enough to search for the principle, for the reason behind it. The reason behind why my pastor has asked us. When you do, many times the rule makes a whole lot more sense. And it comes into a focus. That pause is also letting God have a say. That's the working of your heart, that's Him moving in you, showing you the importance, changing fleshly desires, for spiritual desires. Is that good? Does that make sense? Rules may change, principles never do. Pastors were worried about different things a hundred years ago. For that time. Each of us are equipped We have the Holy Ghost. Pastors were worried about different things. You take a pastor that was in their prime a hundred years ago and put them now, they would be a fish out of water. But they still would know right and wrong. They could still pick up the Bible because it doesn't change. And they still could do that. Is that good? Does that make sense? Amen. Let's see. Okay, I'm still okay in time. I won't keep you much longer. Um, The Old Testament definition of holiness. In every instance of use of the word in the Old Testament, it means sacred, consecrated, dedicated, hallowed to be greatly respected and set apart for holy use. Scripture references that we will touch on, and I'll give you a moment to turn to them. The first one is in Exodus, Old Testament. It is 1511. In fact, all of these references will be in the Old Testament. So Exodus fifteen eleven, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fear in praises, doing wonders? First Chronicles sixteen twenty nine, and I'm just going to hit on a few scriptures here. First Chronicles. 1629. If I said 15, I'm sorry. I meant 1629. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The next two are going to be in Psalms. Psalms 29 and 2 is the first one. Psalms 29 and 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Very similar to 1st Chronicles. Psalms 93 and 5. I like this one. Psalms 93 and 5, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. We're going to move on to Isaiah 35 and 8. Isaiah 35 and 8 and and highway shall be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it but it shall be for those of wayfaring men though fools shall not err therein And the last one I have here in the Old Testament is Obadiah 17 But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall pass, shall possess their possessions. Excuse me. In every instance, the use of the word holiness means sacred, consecrated, dedicated, hollow, respected. And time still permits. Um, the New Testament. New Testament definitions of holiness I'm going to give you a few of those Luke in the New Testament 1 and 75 in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives We're going to continue on Ephesians 4:24 and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness So if you define piety, it is related to human statutes and relations, uh, dutifulness or natural obligations. To be holy is natural to serving God. Look in chapter or Acts chapter 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered, unto the people. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Romans 1 and 4 And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Have another one in First Thessalonians three thirteen. To the end he may stableth your heart, with your hearts un, unblamable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. So if you define the quality of sacredness relating to moral purity, true holiness inside what manifests itself through outward. Moral actions. I'm going to say that again. True holiness inside will manifest manifest itself through outward moral actions. To be immoral is to be unholy. That is morally according to God and not to man. Morality. Moral with God. First Corinthians six nineteen. What ye know Not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Goes back to a lot of things I've been talking about, our relationship with God. But I told you, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you have power. That power is alive inside of you. It's living inside of you. That power gives you power to live above sin. Your body is the temple of God, and as such should be treated with reverence and respect. God cannot and will not dwell in an unclean temple. To bring it home a little more, when when you act immorally and it occurs as if you are performing that action in the house of God. When you sin and know you're sinning and you do it anyway, it's multiple sins. We talked about that. Your house, your body is the temple for God. He's dwelling inside of you in the Holy Spirit. That kind of brings it home a little bit when we think about it individually, doesn't it? <clears throat> I am almost out of time. I'm going to give you one last verse before we go. Um, Romans 6 19 I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Again it's something that we have to do with God, his choices we have to make. We choose to live for God, we choose to serve God, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, and allow his spirit to dwell in us. We have to live that life daily to activate the spirit, to keep it stirred up inside of us, and that will continue to move and change our heart, our desires. We need to remove things from our lives, and replace them with good habits and good spiritual desires. Amen? All right, we're done today. I think it is now.